0: Welcome back to Night School, episode 16, Song of Myself, episode 14. And back with me is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wesley Chance. Welcome back, Mr. Chance.
1: Uh, Thanks. Uh, good to be back. And I got to say, I think you're getting better at those intros.
0: Uh, well, I appreciate the, uh, you saying that because I really did put some conscious effort into attempting to get through that smoothly today. Uh, no more bumbling around.
1: Nice. Nicely done.
0: Well, you know, as we, uh, as we continue to refine the product here, we have to get a little more polished. And uh, <laughs> you, know, you don't sell somebody a new car without, uh, without some shine on the outside.
1: That's right. All right, All right well, now that we've got, them, now we've got them in the door here. All right, so here, we're at 37, I think? Yes. Okay, 37. You laggards there on guard. Look to your arms. In at the conquered doors they crowd. I am possessed, embody all presences outlawed or suffering, see myself in prison shaped like another man and feel the dull, unintermitted pain. For me, the keepers of convicts shoulder their carbines and keep watch. It is I let out in the morning and barred at night. Not a mutineer walks handcuffed to jail, but I am handcuffed to him and walk by his side I am less the jolly one there, and more the silent one with sweat on my twitching lips. Not a youngster is taken for larceny, but I go up too, and am tried and sentenced. Not a cholera patient lies at the last gasp, but I also lie at the last gasp. My face is ash-colored, my sinews gnarl. away from me people retreat. Askers embody themselves in me, and I am embodied in them. I project my hat, sit sh- shame-faced, and beg.
0: All right, well, this is wonderful, and we have a personification of some sort of abstract concept here, some something that seems to be able to accompany many differing people in many differing situations. And so one wonders, what, what is the riddle of this, this thing? And so the first idea I would throw out is that this is a Christian symbol that we are called laggards on guard, sort of like how uh, uh, Paul calls those Galatians, those foolish Galatians, um, that we have fallen, we have fallen um, lazy, or we have fallen, uh, with, like this is like a stone cast in, into the the glass house. We have fallen uh, short in some way as human uh, conquered doors, they crowd, I'm possessed. Again, the idea of possession or legion, sort of Christian, we get embody the word embodied several times. I'm very happy to see that. And so what can be embodied? Well, something like an idea, right? Something that multiple people um, in, uh, in, in acting in a similar way can uh, can do. Like people can act in the same spirit where two or three are gathered in my name uh, there I am, is sort of the idea, uh, sort of a team working towards a next goal, and sort of the idea also of keepers of convicts and being in a prison and dull and un- un- uh, intermittent pain, uninterrupted, I suppose, is, um, it seems as if the, the point here is uh, kind of describing the human soul as like a prisoner in the body or in the world. Sort of a Buddhist Platonic idea, uh, as well as sort of a a Christian one in a way that um, it is uh that it finds itself thrown, like the existentialists would say, into a sort of wild and terrible place full of suffering. And uh, but what what is the thing within all within the range of all human experience, even even that of like say a mutineer was betrayed someone or a a youngster whose life is sort of ruined by larceny Uh, and and larceny is that stealing uh wes i I, I
1: think i think so yeah
0: yeah yeah and being tried and sentenced and so it strikes me that this uh, uh this this cholera patient this this youngster this mutineer what they all uh what the thing is that walks next to them is either god or, or, or some abstract concept that is in some way a representation of God, like truth or hope. Um, askers embody themselves in me and I am embodied in them. There is some sort of like uh, wine and the drinker of wine connection here. Um, but uh, I don't know, Wes, I, I feel like I'm circling around something, but I'm not quite there. Uh, what do you see here? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think that the... Uh, the read as a metaphor works that there's something that is possessing him and that that could be uh, a kind of spirit of some kind. I also find that he is, uh, it's an interesting like reversal here because it sounds almost like he is the spirit, which is going and possessing these or at least accompanying, right? All of these people who are in kind of dire straits.
0: Yeah. I, Um, I, I, I,
1: yeah, which I found really interesting because um, that, that opening line made me think back, I think it was 28, I was trying to look back. I think in 28, he has that part about how his senses, right, are the um, sentinels that are sort of like asleep at their duty.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and so it's, it's something like that uh, being echoed here as well, but it's been modified now because we just came from these two sections that were about actual war. Like, They looked like literal battles, right, going on. And so there were guards there too. And so it's this kind of interesting dreaming or stream of consciousness or flow of associations where you you have that image that seems to be used as a metaphor initially for his senses, for allowing in um, powerful passions and things that he can't quite um, master, right? Then he sort of masters them in that long 33, 34 uh, he has that kind of cosmic vision. And then we have these these sections that are about war, battles, um, death. And now we sort of meld some elements of each of those into this one. And he is accompanying these people who are not in war situations per se, but who are sort of at the, um, at the same kind of end point, right? They're, they're basically at their life's end, whether due to some criminal charge or due to an illness. Um, they the potential that was in them has in some way been let down, betrayed, right? And he speaks to this uh sense of betrayal as well. Uh and I I think to push the Christian thing, right? Like what is his accompanying them accomplish? Is it a kind of salvation? Is it a kind of blessing that he's he's giving them in this last moment um, by being with them? Um I I I don't know what to make of that ending though that he sits shame faced and begs. It's like again, this is a kind of limit of his poetic power that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, and I, I think also it uh so I think where I was getting the Christian bit from was the idea that Christ was crucified between two thieves, two right. criminals. So it's like he's like hand in hand with two criminals and one criminal uh according to legend goes to heaven and one goes to hell. So it's not the crime itself that determines whether one goes to heaven or hell, but uh, sort of the attitude of recognition, whether somebody recognizes and repents and goes through sort of the uh, penance or the negative feeling of having recognized oneself as imperfect. But the idea of sitting shamefaced and begging also I think speaks to the Christian inversion idea or the idea that there could be a God feeling shame. It's just such an absurd or archetypally uh, impossible image, right? Just like a God being a mortal or bound in time and space, a God feeling shame. Well, if they're perfect, like what could be better? How's that possible? And then begging, that is something that we do of gods, right? Um, and so begging or feeling shame seem to be the archetypally human, uh, things to do. And so it's almost as if That which we all share with each other, which is divine, is our human element or that which we suffer or that which makes it so that we should be humble. And of course, what's funny is the word humble, just like the word humility, comes from the same word that we get human from, which is the Latin word humus, which means earth. Uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's there's that song... um, almost egotur it's like an old uh you know that one um it's it's got a line in it about being uh humus, right it's the it's that word there uh and i I think I see now that he's yeah the last person that he embodies and is embodied in um that it, they embodies themselves in him and he is embodied in them is askers. and i I take that to be um people yeah begging for for money, and they hold their hat out right so that coins can be dropped into it, um, that makes me think of the way that Odysseus returns home too right as a, as a as a begging uh, man who who receives hospitality at his own house um, and I think yeah, that's extremely uh uh potent um, illusion that's that's buried in there. Uh, I like that a lot now now that I'm looking at it more
0: yeah, yeah, it's so it's funny how with so many things to know something is to love it right and it's funny you were saying that about this project that you're learning a lot about american poetry and literature just doing it and i'd say i i agree and feel the same and it's we can see the light at the end of the tunnel after that 33 we'll be done with this in no time flat it feels like
1: (laughs) yeah maybe by christmas who knows
0: yeah yeah what a present what a present and then i suppose we could uh we can uh uh, type all this up or, or more likely use some listening software to type this all up and then uh deliver a book to everybody or chris yeah, distill
1: yeah, yeah. it down into some kind of uh bite size portion perhaps
0: yeah we could we could do a, <laughs> we could do our our own novella on thirty three alone yeah uh, <laughs> all right, well, shall we on to thirty eight all right enough, enough, enough. Somehow I have been stunned, stand back. Give me a little time beyond my cuffed head, slumbers, dreams gaping. I discovered myself on the verge of a usual mistake. That I could forget the mockers and insults. That I could forget the trickling tears and the blows of the bludgeons and hammers. That I could look with a separate look on my own crucifixion and bloody crowning. I remember now. I resumed the overstayed fraction. The grave of rock multiplies what has been confided to it or to any graves. Corpses rise, gashes heal. Fast names, roll for me. I troop forth, replenished with supreme power, one of an average unending procession. Inland and seacoast we go and pass all boundary lines, our swift ordinances on their way over the whole earth, the blossoms we wear in our hats, the growth of thousands of years. Elebs, I salute you, come forward. Continue your annotations, continue your questionings.
1: That's great. I take it that we're the Alevs, whatever that word means exactly. I, I think it's us reading. Uh, I'm not sure, but, uh, we, we are saluted and I, I want to say hi, hi, Walt Whitman. I salute you too. Or, uh, uh, and I will continue my annotations and questionings, uh, sure to the invitation, uh, the bidding rather. Yeah. So he starts out with a direct, uh, uh apostrophe right enough 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 i I don't take it that that's really directed at us in the same way that the end of the section is though i take it that that's about you know what has been going on here him sort of lowering himself and being embodied being sort of carried on this incredible vision that's that's swept over him he says he's got enough of it now and he's uh he needs a little time right he needs to um step back from the verge of a usual mistake. Now that's that's really intriguing. And I, I think we could speculate on some of the possibilities uh, for what that would be. He helps us out, of course, right? That I could forget the mockers and insults, the trickling tears and blows of the bludgeons, right? So I I take that to mean that again, sort of like you get swept along in some of his beautiful everything is groovy you know um cosmic harmony and equanimity in in the early part of the poem or or the sort of first couple uh quarters of the poem I, I don't know second quarter of the poem is where that was i feel like was the strongest although i could be misremembering but anyway then he he definitely darkens the mood there for a while um and i i take it to be kind of a correction against that that read of him as being uh too um too loose too permissive or something like that uh that he needs to uh include the chiaroscuro right the dark with the light and shade in some of those uh those painful and and suffering things those elements of it and i guess that that is um consummated most powerfully here in the image of the crucifixion and bloody crowning, right? That's the, the point at which he has a kind of spiritual death and spiritual rebirth or, you know, resurrection or, or however you want to say, he, he uses the imagery of the resurrection with the, the corpse rising in the grave, right? That the rock rolled away, the, the grave uh, bindings, the fastenings, the grave clothes are falling off him. Uh, and at, just as he has been singing, you know, sort of this, uh, the beauties of nature, the beauties of human society, now he's, he's incorporated those evils and those, those hurts, and he's uh, back to um, blossoms and the whole earth, you know, so he sort of wants to encompass all of this and say, you know, let's, let's start over, let's kind of start again, right, let's, or rather, let's continue, let's go on with what we've been up to.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think um, that's an interesting thing to level against, say, a claim that uh, Whitman is pure romantic. And so one, one aspect of the poem that we've been constantly illustrating or that we've been observing throughout the parts is his claim to a universalism or a, a claim to represent all that he has seen in a sort of amoral way, Right the licentious, as well as the horrifying, as well as the wonderful, as well as the transcendent. He'll show it all. And so here again, it seems like he's like, well, you know, and there's cost to me too, as a poet. I, I don't, uh, I, I partake of chaos and order as much as all things do. And I get mocked and insulted. and I know the feel of a bludgeon. And so, you know, even though I am sort of awe-inspired by the fact of myself being a poet, and I consider it a great calling, it like any calling is essentially a self-crucifixion, a, an accepting of one's binding or, uh, or of being bound to fate, and one's bloody crowning, one's accepting the cost or the sacrifice of one's time and energy to an endeavor uh, that, that, you know, one will die essentially doing, or one will give one's life uh, either either explicitly in terms of like something like the military or like uh, metaphorically in terms of like giving 50 years of one's time doing something. So he, here he, he's saying uh, even if this is sort of a nice job being poet, uh, it's it's also a terrible job as well in that you get mocked and insulted and you still die even though you do it. So it's not as if he's missing out on on anything, inclu- including all the, the terrible – Aspects of life that he's been describing for some, for some bit now. Um, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I think it the the mockers and the insults, the blows of bludgeons and hammers definitely can refer to the critiques that he's getting and the the the, tr- the trouble, the travail that he goes through simply as a as the poet, as a writer. Um, I think it also uh, has to do with the. Maybe the readership simply not, you know, understanding, or or yeah. or even saying that his poem is saying something that he didn't mean it to say, and that he thinks they're they're not uh, understanding his intention, or or deliberately they're misrepresenting um, him. I, I heard somewhere that this poem, for a long time uh, at the library, would be locked up behind the librarian's desk because it was considered uh, to uh licentious you know it's too too ra- uh uh raunchy um and so back in the day you had to get like special uh permission to even get to look at this poem which you know i think he'd be quite amused that anyone at any time can just google it and find the the entire thing in multiple versions you know and just like study it at their leisure um those who've got the the device and the uh the internet connection that is um and so I take it that he uh he in that respect would um would then say you know maybe that the the greatest insult is that so few people do bother to read it you know and at least that's how I would I would feel about it if I were him I guess that given this incredible technology this incredible access to such a a marvelous and um you know effortful work of imagination and Um, striving that, you know, instead I'm just going to go like look at cat pictures or something, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I guess people need that in their life too.
0: You know, that is incredible. I, when you look at it in that way, the idea of, uh, you know, the, the range of uh, entertainments that a human can take in, like we were talking about yesterday in side quests, like uh, with Alipius in Augustine's confessions, sort of the difference between a vulgar um uh use of time like going to the coliseum and sort of uh, a sophisticated use of time so whitman here is of course attempting an epic masterpiece and yet we can spend our time considering that or we can go look at cat pictures both perfectly good uses of time <laughs> but but the level of sort of mastery or effort put into the presentations of each and the sort of uh also level of um or amount of information one can derive from one. I mean, you can derive quite a bit of information from a cat picture, of course, um, but um, it is interesting that part of the claim of what makes for a good use of time is um, just how how sophisticated the endeavor or the object is you are attempting to appreciate is and your ability to appreciate it, right? So like, it's not just a sophisticated experience to go to the symphony, if you don't understand anything that you're listening to. I mean, it has great potential, but you also need the ear necessary, right? You need to actually understand the music to some extent, or to what extent you do understand the music, you will have a more sophisticated experience. And so it seems as if that's sort of what we're attempting here. An epic poem is a masterpiece, or at least we're trying to uh, determine whether this is in fact an epic and whether it is a masterpiece we're trying to bring our minds to bear on it. So we are trying to add something to that which we perceive uh, by extracting something out from it, which I think we both think is there. Um, and And so doing, we are doing the opposite of being like a troll, a mocker or an insulter or a critic. And we're also not being a servile appreciator. We're being teachers, I think, and well, you know, maybe that's what people are supposed to do with pieces of literature and cultural artifacts and maybe experiences too. Um, and well, it seems like that's what we're trying to do.
1: Well said. Well said.
0: Thank you. I didn't well know. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have time for 30, this is sort of 39. I mean, you know how we are with the short ones They're Uh, they usually, we usually have more to say, but let's, yeah, let's give mm. it a try because only 13 more weeks after this or 13 more parts.
1: Yeah. All right. So moving on to 39. The friendly and flowing savage, who is he? Is he waiting for civilization or past it and mastering it? Is he some southwesterner raised outdoors? Is he Canadian? Is he from the Mississippi country, Iowa, Oregon, California, the mountains, prairie life, bush life, or sailor from the sea? Wherever he goes, men and women accept and desire him. They desire he should like them, touch them, speak to them, stay with them. Behavior lawless as snowflakes, words simple as grass, uncombed head, laughter and naivete, slow stepping feet, common features, common modes and emanations. They descend in new forms from the tips of his fingers. They are wafted with the odor of his body or breath. They fly out of the glance of his eyes.
0: All right, interesting. So this notion of the friendly and flowing savage, who is he? Is he waiting for civilization or past and mastering it? At first, one has the actual image of uh, what Whitman would have considered savage. So at the time, he would have probably either thought of a Native American or, a, uh, or you know, someone who had been enslaved in America in some way or another, or you know, he did live during the time of slavery in America although he finishes this in 1892. But that said, he also seems to suggest that this savage could be something like a, again, a common spirit shared between people. Um, Wherever he goes, men and women accept and desire him, something that can be shared. The desire he should like them, touch them, speak to them, stay with them, sort of like a, as if he is a, a, like a spirit of Zeus or Hermes, the spirit of the stranger, or of that which is different, and when it is invited in to uh, civilization, uh, sort of this element of chaos or threat, but also hope and renewal. That um, uh, um, I—it's I, hard to say that it's necessarily positive, but that different things happen. Behavior lawless as snowflakes, words simple as grass. Like in that grass imagery, and that seems to be true, right? because grass is there, it's real. Uncombed head, again, that's sort of like a a real, a natural, a primitive, a savage sort of uh, thing when your hair is not uh, uh, combed up. Uh, Laughter and naivete, again, natural sort of aspects of human existence. Um, And and that which is common between us, that which is not simply cultural, seems to be his idea. Um, Stepping feet common features like physical features, common modes and emanations, things that we do, things that we produce. Um, they descend in new forms from the tips of his fingers. That seems also to be a commentary on what he is doing here, right? This is a new form of a poem, but a poem and poet have been roles and uh, uh, and sources of information or actions that have thousands of years of history. They're wafted with the odor of his breath or breath, body or breath. That's That's sort of also a... Christian communion slash spirit image, um, the air, that which can be shared between people. And of course, the idea of communion is the idea of eating the body of the Lord. The body of the Lord is, of course, information and that which can be shared between people. Um, And so it is an abstract notion that when people share a common goal together, that is what ties them together in the strongest possible way and creates the most amount of trust between them. And that is the idea behind a religion and a political system rather than simply being bound by blood or something physical. Um, and they fly out of the glance of his eyes. Um, I guess I'm not exactly sure what to do with that very last that bit, but that also seems sort of like one of those primeval and real experiences, uh, seeing, seeing the look in someone's eyes and how that indicates how they feel or think about something.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to what you're saying about the way that we, um, sort of, we bring something to what we go and read or go and listen to. And that, that's sort of conveyed by the idea that this, um, these new forms, uh, this new behavior, this new energy that flows out uh, comes with the the glance of his eyes. Right, so he transforms not only what comes from his fingertips that he sort of makes, but also makes new the things that he looks upon,
0: uh,
1: or, uh, that, or you know, sort of like experiences that he provides for others, as well as experiences that he has from outside of him, are all sort of getting a a, a rebirth here. Um, is how I, I take, I, the, the uncombed head made me think of, uh, and, and that it's in that same line with naivete. It's pretty close to an image of, uh, Eve, you know, it's like an Adam and Eve kind of deal. You just had the, the simple as grass and this is lawless, right? This is before there's a law, you know, so there's some kind of innocence that is, uh, here to be, to be encountered, uh, that he introduces after, again, I think it's significant, this comes well into the poem, right? After he's gone through a long process, now we have this kind of um, Edenic image return and it's, it's got a very different flavor now. Uh, he leads us into it, I guess he sort of suggests some questions that we should be asking, right? And like the the who is he question uh, is is accompanied by a much more loaded question, right? is he already past and master of civilization, right? So it's like, sort of like, you can think that you are, you know, civilized and that you're in some way superior, but really you need to be asking yourself, what is it for? Like, what is the the thing which your civilization is, is really leading towards? Isn't it simply this, isn't it simply this kind of new outlook um, of, of fresh, uh, Fresh desire right um fresh words and simple words and um a a novel and un uh, i don't know exactly unfallen it sounds like uh experience of the world it's it's a very high challenge um a very tough question to answer but he he sort of loads them on he he asks one question, and then he asks sort of a two-part question, and then he starts piling in multiple questions within the same line until so you've got one, two, three, four, I guess there in the fifth line of the, and then he starts to try to, try to try to describe his his idea of the answer at least.
0: And just, uh, just think, that idea of it being Edenic, and it, it seems as if what's lodged in there is sort of a cyclical perception of history. Then sort of as, just like Dante suggests in his Purgatorio. As you move forward in time, you actually move backwards in time, like the Purgatorio, because you use your time in order to get to the first place ever, Eden, earthly paradise. And it's also the same way in Greek mythology. The Age of Gold, which was created by Saturn or Kronos, well, after Kronos is defeated and goes out to Tartarus, eventually he is restored to being the king of the White Isle, which is where the men from the Age of Gold are then placed. Um, and so he returns to prominence over a, a people that required no laws because they had no weapons and who just became rich amongst each other and were sort of immortal. And So the idea of the coming of the golden age over and over again, and whether that's before or after a certain time depends on, you know, whether someone sees time as linear or circular and also that it seems as if what makes for a golden age is that what makes for the law of man is his his own judgment slash behavior, not not any sort of law itself, and that that's sort of also the promise of the West, and that's the sort of the promise of America, as well. That it is a place created by the laws of people's actions rather than simply uh, um, uh, rather than simply being dictated how they should act by laws. That, that our laws allow us the freedom to act in the ways that we think are best, rather than constricting us to a certain way of being.
1: Yeah, I think that, that idea of the West is really significant um, in the context of Whitman's time when he's writing, right, these, these new states being admitted to the union, uh, that's a large, contributing factor to the outbreak of the civil war and that that kind of reunification of the country that that follows from it that as uh, as Lincoln talks about like trying to bind up the wounds again he's using very explicit Christian imagery in that second inaugural address and uh, yeah I think he uh, also makes me think of Huck Finn here and I don't know whether Whitman read Twain admired Twain or not but that idea of you know civilization and Huck always spells it with an S- Uh, don't civilize me and I think there's a very strong uh, component of that and I think it's very alive and well because kids today in school you'll hear them call each other savage yes something that they know they ought not do but they want to do it anyway and they're sort of joking about it sometimes but they're sort of also like well aware that they're sort of wild you know and they need to be tamed but they're going to fight it every step of the way um they're savage. It's funny.
0: I like that. <laughs> well, speaking of savage, it looks like we are through now, whereas we were just through one quarter of the poem, we are now through three quarters, and we now enter the, the winter of our discontent, as it were, the winter of this endeavor, the Vivaldi winter. Maybe we can play some Vivaldi winter before the next, uh, <laughs> the next uh, um, part. Or, or maybe, you know, the listeners can go and just listen to it. Uh, yes, yes. Or,
1: I think that would work just as well.
0: You guys have that
1: access, uh, obviously, if you're listening to us. So use it wisely out there, all you Uh yeah. Until next time, guys.
0: Yeah, until next time. Thank you, Mr. Wesley Shantz, again, for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. All have right. a good one. You too.